Welcome to The Link Church. We pray this week's message inspires you to have a meaningful relationship with Jesus. To be in church today, we are super glad that we get to be the church today, right? So uh, to everybody that's in the room, welcome. Welcome to The Link Church. And to those that's online, man, we're so excited to have you guys join with us. We know there's a few of our our fan favourites that are unwell at the moment. Uh, We love you guys and we're praying for you. Um, And if this is your first time joining us at The Link, whether it's in the room or online, can I just welcome you on behalf of Pastor Andrew and The Link team. We're just very glad that you are here and you get to share in this experience with us. Um, I'm super excited to be in here today. Uh, Some new faces in the room. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Lizette and I have the opportunity generally to serve on the A-team at The Link and I am usually in with The Link kids. So um, I am super happy that they get to uh, experience this with me as well. Um, But I have to admit, uh, I do miss that gauntlet a little bit. Uh, (laughs) They know how to put us through our paces in there. They seem tiny and unintimidating. But my goodness, did I ask some incredible questions that I've just over the last few years stretched my faith and my understanding of things. So a little fun fact for you guys on gauntlets. Um, I actually had to go and look this up this week because I'm like, why do we call it like, I've gone through the gauntlet or, you know, they, they put us through the gauntlet or something like that. So fun fact, a gauntlet is a steel covered glove that was worn as part of suits of armor during the medieval times. So uh, that guy right up there, that's what a gauntlet actually is. Um, I watched a video, completely irrelevant, on that thing, and it's like modern-day guys who are making these, and they are just standing there, smashing the heck out of each other's hands with swords, and there is not a scratch on that gauntlet. So that's just fun fact for you. Um, But the other thing that was interesting for me when I read up about this, uh, the throwing of a gauntlet at someone's feet meant that you were challenging them to a duel. Nowadays, we don't challenge people to the duel. Uh, We don't take something that is so important in protecting us and throwing it on the ground. We just go to Facebook and Instagram and keyboard warrior out way through this life, right? But here's the interesting thing. So if I wanted to challenge M to a duel, I would take this important glove, I'd chuck it on the ground, which means I'm challenging you, And she had a choice to accept the challenge or not. If she picked up that glove, she's going, it's on. Or I don't really know what happened if they didn't pick up the glove. I just, to be honest. (laughs) So, but but here's the thing, okay? So in Link Kids, they challenge us a lot every week. And we have learned to know which challenges to pick up and go with and which challenges to just let slide, right? Like, like, they know, they know, right? Um, so, ooh, I broke it. Oh, no, I don't know, I fixed it. Um, but yeah, so a couple of months ago, I suffered only what I can describe to guys as a fortunate lapse of judgment uh, by accepting a challenge that I believe God gave me. Uh, and he presented this to me in the lead up to my birthday a couple of months ago. So every year around my birthday, I will actually read the psalm that corresponds with that birthday, right? So if I'm turning 30, I'll be reading Psalm 30. 
If it's 32, I'll be reading Psalm 32. And I did the same thing this year. <laughs> Yours, maybe. <laughs> Listen, this is not a comedy show. <laughs> um, but I did the same thing this year. I did it a little bit different because I felt like God was stirring me a few weeks before my birthday to kind of be a bit more intentional with us. Um, because here's the thing, every year this psalm is quite spot on in terms of where I am in life. I can't remember who taught us this. Mama Amelia, I think, taught us this, where every year with your birthday, read that psalm of the year you were turning old, and it will give you encouragement and wisdom. And it does. It absolutely does. But this year I approached this a little bit differently, and I actually started to fast two weeks before my birthday. Um, and I was fasting about a few things, but two things in particular. One was direction and two was wisdom. And I was going through this psalm, and as I'm reading, a few words really started to pop out at me, um, and they were repeated quite a few times. And the words were righteousness, righteous, and upright. So these three words in total appeared 12 times in 40 verses in Psalm 37. Now, if you've been in church for some time, I guarantee you've heard people explain that righteousness simply means to be in right standing with God. So I had questions. What does this really mean? Because I'm, I'm, remember, I'm, I'm searching God for wisdom and direction. Right? I wasn't going in this thing looking for righteousness. So what does righteousness really mean? What does it really mean to be in right standing with God? And is righteousness something that I have to do and if it is, what do I need to do? And is right, or is righteousness something that I am? And if I am, how, like, how do I become that? So lots of questions. Not what I was asking for. So I believe God threw down this gauntlet and he challenged me to go down this rabbit hole of righteousness. Because if it appears 12 times in 40 verses, to me that's important. And just purely the fact that that really stood out to me. And it's... It's got to be important because maybe, just maybe, the answers that I was looking for regarding direction and wisdom has something to do with this thing called righteousness. So I have to admit when I accepted this challenge, at first I was a bit embarrassed uh, and frustrated because it felt like... Uh, I, I was frustrating with the fact that it's, why, is, why does it feel like God has to present this challenge to me? Why do I now at 37 have to embark on this journey on figuring out what righteousness is? And it would have made sense if I had been a Christian for a year, two years, but I haven't. I grew up in church, right? I, uh, I've been saved since I was 13, so for the last few decades, not only have I grown up in church, I've been in church, I've been actively involved in church. As far as I'm concerned, I should have a pretty good grasp on this thing called righteousness. And the other thing is, like, I know it's been explained to me. I've sat through courses and Bible school and, you know, it's been explained. I remember people teaching that it simply means to be in right standing with God. But more than that... I couldn't tell you what it was. What does that actually mean? 
And if I haven't wrapped my head fully around this concept of righteousness by now, what does it actually say about my righteousness? (laughs) Because I'm trusted every week to teach the next generation about the goodness of God and the grace of God and trusting that they will take this thing and and lead us. Uh, But if I don't understand what righteousness is, what, 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 what am I doing? What has gone wrong? But then I also was reminded that I've had conversations with people um, that I regard as mature Christians. And uh, I was humbled because I was reminded that even as a mature Christian, having been in church for decades, we are not expected to know everything. I've spoken to people who only just recently found out that Rahab was a prostitute. They knew she was a prostitute, but they didn't know that she was in the lineage of Jesus. God used her for our salvation today, right? Um, Somebody else that I've spoken to over the last few years, uh, also highly respect them, consider them mature Christian. I've learned heaps from them. Uh, They didn't know that... Uh, it wasn't three wise men that brought gifts to Jesus when he, when he was born. It was three gifts that were brought by wise men, right? Because we have pictures that are drawn that put three wise men in there, each with a gift. And so I found this verse in Proverbs 9 verse 9, and it says, Instruct the wise, and they will be even wiser. Teach the righteous and they will learn more. Now, although I've accepted this challenge on going down this rabbit hole with righteousness, I'm taking you all with me because it's been one heck of a ride the last couple of years and especially the last few days. Um, And simply because I feel like if I feel like this, I'm sure somebody else might feel like this too, right? Um, Maybe you're in here and you are like me and you were a bit embarrassed or a bit ashamed where you're like, I've heard this, but I don't actually know what this is. I'm going to help you out. Okay, I'm here for you today. Um, Maybe you're in here and you're a new Christian and you've maybe never heard anybody preach on righteousness because it's very new and very fresh to you. Um, That is okay. That is why we are here, right? Um, Some of you might have been in church for a very long time and you might be sitting there thinking, I have got this down packed. I know what it is. Buckle up. Because it might very well be that it turns out like I was, where I was like, hang on, I didn't actually know this, right? And again, he says, instruct the wise and you will be wiser, okay? Or maybe you're in here and you have no relationship with God, you've never been in church, you don't have anybody setting examples, anybody that can teach you or you can talk to. Um, But by the end of tonight, I'm praying that you might very well find out that you know, there is, there is incredible access to righteousness for you. So let's jump in. And I'm going to do my best to keep this as simple as possible because, like I said, rabbit hole. If you guys could see the picture I wanted to show you of my journey, I deliberately didn't. Uh, I, yeah, it, it, was, it was getting crazy, right? Because Habakkuk 2 verse 2 says... Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can run the correct message to others. So my, my job here and what I believe God has instructed me to do today is not to confuse things for you uh, or for me, right? 
Um, so here we go. What does righteousness mean? You might have heard me say earlier that it means to be in right standing with God. And that is true. But my question was, what does being in right standing with God mean? So I'm going to take us through a little bit of a word study. This one's for Heinrich. I'm not going to pronounce this correctly. I apologize. The righteous word in the old, or the word for righteousness or righteous in the Old Testament Hebrew is sadik. Did I say that right? Close, yeah. Uh, if you don't know what I'm, why I'm pointing to Heinrich, he uh, is very passionate about Israel and he's actually learning Hebrew. He's actually going to proper Hebrew classes and stuff. So, um, But this Old Testament Hebrew word describes human beings who walks with God and follows his ways. They're described as being morally upright. And then the New Testament Greek word, I'm not going to try and say this. Dekaiosine. Right? Dekaiosine. Okay? sign. We're going with that one. If you want to know how to write these words and it's something that interests you, come speak to me. I've got the, the spelling here. But that word uh, basically means meeting the... De- the de- Remember, this is the New Testament. It says meeting the demands of God's law. So I know some of you have just heard law and you have tapped out and gone, I am saved by grace and I am no longer under the law. Stay with us. Do not check out, okay? Righteousness has to do with our character in relation to God's character because God's character is the definition of all righteousness, okay? So this means that if it, if it doesn't look like God, you heard that thing like smells like chicken, tastes like chicken, must be chicken, okay? If it doesn't look like God or sound like God, then it probably isn't God. It is not righteous, okay? Mm -mm. So your righteousness and my righteousness is determined in terms of God's character, okay? It sets the standard. In other words, do we live up to the standard that God has set? So now that we know what righteousness means, it simply means that God has set a standard, which is his his character, uh, and I have have to live up to that standard. Now that we know what it is, we need to know what it's going to look like. To know what righteousness looks like, we need to know what the character of God looks like because righteousness is defined by God's character. And how do we find what God's character looks like? See a lot of questions? This rabbit hole just took another weird turn. (laughs) We find out what God's character looks like by getting into the Word of God. Okay? The Old Testament and the New Testament is full of accounts of God's grace and mercy, his love, his compassion, his deliverance, forgiveness. Uh, he gives hopes. He provides strength. Uh, he, um, those are just some of the few that's popped to my, my mind without actually going into a deeper rabbit hole uh, and research, right? He's generous, Right? Old Testament and New Testament. We, we have a generous God. So these are some of his characteristics. And we find that in the word of God. And if you're sitting here and you're thinking one of two things. You're either thinking, I have done all those things. I am a righteous tick. Or you were thinking, I am none of those things. So I can't be righteous. And here's where we're going to level the playing field. We're about to jump into the actual word. We're going to level the playing field 
And how do the young guy say, sorry, not sorry, for bursting your bubbles, either of those bubbles? Because if we turn to Romans chapter 3, if you do have a Bible here, I'd encourage you. I'll give you a few seconds. Romans chapter 3. These guys are learning how to use their Bibles. You'll see they are ready. They've got their Bibles. So races on New Testament. Romans. You'll, you'll, look for, you'll find it in the New Testament. We're going to give them some time. They work hard to, to know how to do this. Amen. Okay. Romans chapter 3. They've put it there up the top for you guys so you can, you can catch up. Okay. So we jump into this. It says uh, from verse 10, it says, As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. Like, that's great. I don't want to hear that. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Now, I've never stood in front of an open grave, but I have smelt a decomposing animal. It is disgusting. Okay? Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drip from their lips. Remember, it's talking about nobody's righteous. This is talking about what unrighteousness looks like. So if you want a good description of what it looks like to not be righteous, this is it. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. I've done that one. Uh, They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. That's an interesting word that popped up a lot, was the righteous finds peace in God. Um, Side note, that's a freebie for you. They have no fear of God at all. And then verse 19, it says, obviously, because this is all obvious to us, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. That was Pretty good description of what unrighteous looks like. But it is a bit of a downer. Uh, I'm not going to lie, because there's a few things in there that I might have ticked those boxes. Sin came into this world, and since the Garden of Eden, people have been unrighteous inherently. What that means is, in and of ourselves, there is no righteousness. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. There is no righteousness in this. In, in, in you, okay? Uh, sin, by the way, for those of you that were sitting here and thinking, I know quite a few sinners. They drink and they smoke and they do drugs and they sleep around and they've murdered and they've stole or they've been in prison. I've got bad news for you. Sin isn't just something that you do. It can also be something that you do not do, okay? Um, we've, we've got this view that it's horrible people who were sinners. But remember, righteousness is determined by our right standing with God in terms of we have to do certain things and we don't do certain things, which means if we 
miss that mark, that is what sin is called. There's your definition of sin, if you like, what is sin? Sin means to miss the mark. It means to fail to be righteous, to meet that standard that God has set. So you can sin by sitting at home on your couch and doing nothing, which also hits hard because I've done that a few times. Okay, we've been given this law uh, that we believe sets a standard of righteousness. And verse 20 now brings us all down because it says that uh, even if we obey every command in this law, that is not going to make us righteous, which is very discouraging because what am I supposed to do now? You're telling me that I've got to be righteous. Here's how you be righteous. But just by the way, you can never meet the standard. You will never be righteous. Uh, So if nobody can become righteous, then what's the point? Why are we even talking about this thing called righteousness? So we go to verse 21. And it says, but now. Those are some of my favorite pieces of like words in the Bible. It's all this like hard-hitting stuff. And then God goes, but now. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Verse 22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. Because remember, sin isn't just something you do. It can be something you don't do. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. The sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he, when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead, right? Vision. God was looking ahead and he included them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his side when they believe in Jesus. If it feels like he's repeating himself, it's good because it means that we need to hear it again. Verse 27, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. Uh, If you don't know what a Gentile is, if you were not an Israelite, you are a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. Most of us in here would be a Gentile. Um, is going, so isn't he the God of the Gentiles also? Of course he is. There is only one God and he makes people right with himself only by faith whether they are Jews or Gentiles. So this is awesome. 
downer. Now we've been told, awesome. We are saved by grace and by faith. Nothing we can do other than that. We just have to believe. Uh, So great, we can finally get rid of the law because it's all about faith now. Wrong. (laughs) Rabbit hole. I hope you guys are keeping up with my rabbit hole. Verse 31 of Romans 3. So this is the very, very next verse. It says, well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. So why is righteousness important? Okay. If your righteousness was not important, then there is no need for salvation. Salvation means to be delivered or rescued from a dangerous situation. Not walking in righteousness and being right standing with God is dangerous. What dangerous situation did we need to get saved from? Sin, right? Again, not something we just do. It is something that we also don't do. Sin took us out of right standing with God, meaning we lost our righteousness because of sin. And this loss was so dangerous that the only outcome without salvation was death. And you can ask me how I know this is because the word of God is important. And this is where we find a lot of our answers as Christians. If you go to Romans 6, verse 20, verse 20 and 23, I'm not reading the whole scriptures, so please don't stone me for being blasphemous. Um, verse 20, it says, When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. So we are sinning, we're slaves to the sin, we don't have to do right. What does it matter? But it also says to us that the wages of sin is death. It means that you're getting something in return for your sin. And what you're getting in return is death. So we're going to try and wrap this up for us in a nice little take-home package. The cross of Jesus is a public demonstration of God's righteousness. In other words, God transfers the righteousness of Christ to those who have faith in him, who trust in him. So Jesus was crucified for our sins, and he was crucified for the reason that we are no longer in right standing with God. Sin, right? We are now no longer righteous. That's what God was. That, was, that is what Jesus was crucified for, is our broken relationship. We are now no longer right before God. Um, Luke 9, verse 23 and 25. Jesus says to a crowd, so Jesus is teaching and he's saying to a crowd, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, uh, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you don't, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you are lost and destroyed? So I thought about this a lot lately, because why would Jesus tell them to take up their cross daily if they wanted to follow him, 
Because isn't that what he went to the cross for? He went to the cross so that we could live in righteousness, that we could be saved, that uh, we could be set free from our sin. And I would like to share a thought with you. And I'm, there is no scriptural background back up for this thought. This is my, what I got from a lot of this. And I just want to share this with you. Maybe taking up our cross daily involves taking stock of the sin in our lives that if it wasn't for Jesus would be taking us out of righteousness or right standing with God. So yes, Jesus did die for our sins once and for all. But are we not cheapening the blood of Christ if we don't acknowledge those sins? We have this habit of sinning and then going, it's okay, Jesus died for me, I'm saved by Christ. When really shouldn't it be, it's not okay because Jesus died for me. And if it wasn't for him, what I just did or did not do, that sin, would have taken my relationship and my right standing away from God. So maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, I've been doing that because I have, right? And if I've been doing it, somebody else must have been doing it somewhere. And I've been cheapening the blood of Christ. But I don't know what to do. How do I change this? The answer is the Bible and the Word of God. So welcome to the other side of my rabbit hole. We're on the home stretch. There is light. We are making it. I want to share with you the piece of scripture that set off this whole journey for me and the lead up to my birthday. Psalm 37 verses 30 to 31 in the New King James says, The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom and his tongue talks of justice. The law of God, the law of his God is in his heart and none of his steps shall slide. As I was going about my research and my search in like wisdom and direction uh, in the lead up to my birthday, I realized that maybe what I needed wasn't a different understanding of wisdom or God to give me a more clear direction. Maybe what I needed is a better understanding of righteousness and the things that are in my life that is preventing me from walking in wisdom, from uh, hearing from God. And so what is the law of God? Because again, I said don't tap out <laughs> when we hear this word law, okay? Romans 13, verse 10, 8 to 10 in the New Living Translation. He says, if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you shall not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. But that's the law. What does the Bible have to do with it? And my question is this, what does the Bible not have to do with it? How can we expect to inspire people to have a meaningful relationship with Jesus if we don't get into the Word of God that teaches us how to love God and love people? We simply cannot do it without the Word of God in our hearts because that's what he's saying. Put my law in your heart and you, you will love people. 
And that is the commandment, is loving people. We are living in a dying world and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look around and see that unrighteousness is everywhere. And the only way that I believe we can make a difference is by getting the word of God back into our hearts and then into the hands and the hearts of others. And if you're looking for, I'm just going to give you two scriptures that I love about this, why the word is so powerful. It says, my child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Do not lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. The word of God brings life and it brings healing. That's in Proverbs 4 verses 20 and 22. And then one of my all-time favourites It says uh, in Hebrews 4 verse 12, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The word of God helps us to recognize those thoughts and desires that are taking us out of right standing with God or would have taken us out of right standing with God. So I want to pose my own challenge to you guys. Because here is where I believe something like the Bible Project is crucial, okay? Uh, We've just looked at a couple of scriptures that talks about the power of the word and what it can do for us. And I'm going to share this with you. I was listening to a podcast uh, this week and it was quite disturbing. It was a Christian podcast, but the information was not great. Um, They were saying that there's 7,000 language groups in the world of which almost 4,000 do not have a Bible in their language. And I went and actually looked that up because I'm like, that can't be right. And if the guys can put that guy up, right? So this is the current January 1, 2023 status of the Bible availability in the world. This is not even saying those people. So this left-hand group, I'm in the way. This left-hand group here we can see that 5.9 billion people have a Bible available in their language, okay? The whole Bible. But there's 3,776 language groups that don't have access to any, not part of the Bible, not the New Testament, nothing, right? I don't know if you guys recently checked how many translations we have in English, but it just doesn't seem right that 201 million people have no scripture and only 5.9 billion can actually access a full Bible in their language. That's almost, Kurt, what's the math? 1.5 million people that have no access to what I'm holding here. No, I'm wrong? <laughs> That's all, it's a lot of people. It's a lot of people, right? So we're expecting a world to walk in righteousness and we're confused why the world is in chaos when they don't have something that we have access to to teach them about God's goodness and their grace. So here's my challenge for you this week. We're about to purchase a whole bunch of Bibles. And it's thanks to your... I see Nana Rose's face just lit up. Uh, It's thanks to your generosity. This week, over the next two weeks, we'll be able to purchase our first lot of Bibles. Here's my gauntlet. I don't have a glove. My challenge for you. Find out 
how many of that 5.9, don't worry about putting it up, that 5.9 billion people who have access do you come across this week that don't actually have a Bible? And we will bless them with one. Because it is, it's just not okay <laughs> that they don't have one. Right? I don't know how to put a Bible in the hands of people who doesn't have it in their language. But I can put a Bible in every person's hand that walks through the door. And it's because we are part of a church who loves God and we love people and we want to make a difference. So I wonder if you'll close your eyes for me. And I want you to imagine. Imagine what will happen when we get the law of God in our hearts. What will happen when we stop cheapening the blood of Christ, how different will your life look? What will happen when we choose to live lives that are actually representative of the sacrifice that Jesus made to truly live a life that reflects the righteousness of God? So if you're in this place today, with every head bowed, and every eye closed. I want to pray for us. But I want to pray for two groups of people in particular. If you're in here and you have never accepted the sacrifice that Jesus made for you on that cross, tonight is your opportunity to make that decision to accept that and to get to freely walk in righteousness and freedom. Or if you're in this place and you feel like, I've known God, I've had a relationship, but my sin has gotten such a hold of me and it's taken me so far off track and down a different kind of rabbit hole of my own. We wanna pray for you as well tonight. So I'm going to ask you to do something that is very bold. But I want you to understand this one thing. The Word of God that I've been talking about, this Bible is very clear. That when Jesus died, He came to take our sin and shame away. So I'm going to ask you to be bold. And this is not to embarrass you or to place shame on you. It is to help you take that first step in walking in righteousness. So if you have never given your heart to God and you feel like this is something that your heart is racing and you're not sure what's happening and you feel like tonight is the night I'm giving my heart to God. Nobody is looking around. Can I ask you to just put your hand up? I'm not going to tell you to come to the front. We're not going to ask you to come to the front. We're not, we are, like I said, the Word of God is not here to embarrass you. We want to pray for you. And if you're in here and you want to recommit to God and say, I am tired of cheapening the blood of Christ. Lord, here's my heart and lead me and guide me in a righteous walk with you. Would you be so bold to put your hand up to allow me to pray for you? Thanks for being with us. We hope this message leaves you stirred to a place of action. If you made a decision to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, need more resources or want to take your next step, 
linkthechurch.org has everything you need. Until next time, from everyone at The Link Church, God bless.